0: coming to you <laughs> semi live over the zoom airwaves we've got a collaboration with the sons of honarchy and locked on socks it's drunk shy socks fan over here
1: and hot take tommy on this episode as we said we've got the myths the legends themselves locked on socks on the other side of this uh, lovely screen um, and we're going to be bringing you all of our takes regarding only the greatest socks things Brought to you by DBC DBC Brand. Brand.
0: So I guess we are contractually obliged to.
1: (laughs) So we lied to to you guys already. I hope you don't mind.
2: (laughs) Off to a really uh, shaky start here.
1: (laughs) Just... Just bear with us. We'll we'll be doing a little bit more of that, you know. I don't, and that. I
0: don't even have a beverage. Usually, I'm the shaky after. Well, you were the one
1: at a Mormon
3: wedding today, so
1: that was yesterday.
3: Give us I the details on that, please. All the way out to Utah. Have you guys ever been to Utah? No, I'm good. I mean, actually, I drove <laughs> through it. I drove through it. All right. <laughs> I, that's, that's not right. I was in Saint George, Utah, one time. It's close to Vegas. But OK, the, um, I, I assume the Mormon
2: part of Utah for sure. Danny, <laughs> I have not. No, I would live vicariously through Herb and his his day driving through Utah and his his, his West Coast trip. Yeah, I can't can't say I've been there.
0: Well, I'll say this. All of the liquor stores are owned by the state. Ugh. You can't like go to the gas station, go pick up a six pack of something. You have to go to a liquor store and nothing at the liquor store. Like if you want some beer, it's not refrigerated. So oh. it, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, I, I'll leave people, it at
2: that. Yeah, what is this Europe? Jesus Christ. They, they <laughs> keep a lot of
3: porn in that in that state because they can't drink. All Honestly, the though, all restrictions on them.
0: For real though. Like I I don't know what they do for fun. I'm I'm very confused. So,
3: Jazz <laughs> I know
0: I know yeah. we talked about this, Tom. We <laughs> want we wanted to hype up our guests today.
3: Yes.
1: If you if you would allow us. We've, we've prepared words, gentlemen. Oh. Um, so Steve wanted to take, tackle the old Herb introduction. Cause, uh, he has a love affair and I am more than happy. <laughs> I am more than happy to tackle the Chris Tannehill. Do you want to go first, Steve?
0: I will. I mean, I have to introduce the man who literally at the end, I mean, mind you Herbie probably don't remember this, but the man who <laughs> at the end of his, um, you know time on the 108 panel was like go listen to these guys go listen to sons of honarchy support the little man
1: <laughs> it was funny as
2: hell her, her acting like we're jeff bezos over here Joe rogan like <laughs> yeah. go support the little man as if we're not little also it was
3: much appreciated like we were honored that's when we're like uh, at the Reggie's last year, right? Uh-huh. That is exactly uh-huh. it. That is exactly yeah. it. So I got to meet you guys last year. Like you guys are in the back corner. I remember. Yeah, it was good. That's, to yeah. That's right. That's right. Um,
0: I asked a dumb question about current players in Kill Mary Fuck. Those it was really dumb <laughs> on my part. Um, so hailing from Wheaton, Illinois, and standing in a little bit taller than I expected, this man is, I believe, a multi-year entry into the 108 tourney and is severely underrated when it comes to the blue checkmark community on White Sox Twitter. Mm. He is an executive producer at 670 The Score, most well-known for his work for the Lawrence Holmes. You can find this man enjoying a Miller White on his hours off, uh, unless he's on a panel for an event at Reggie's and he's buying us all mystery shots. <laughs> he is one of the fabulous co-hosts of the fastest-growing Sox podcast, Locked on Sox. A proud, I believe, University of Illinois grad.
3: No, no, just a big fan.
2: You act like oh boy, oh boy, oh, man. Act like, I act like
3: I went down there on Neil and Green Street all the all the time. But no, they wouldn't let me in because I didn't do homework and such. Whatever, but, fair. Yes, that's, they, that's fine yeah. to, I, people have uh, mistaken that before, but like, yeah, you would think that you would have to go to University of Illinois to be a dumbass like me. They, they call it <laughs> subway alumni. Folks. That's the old term for it. The I'm subway just, alumni. I'm gonna go to like online University of Illinois so I can finally be a one of those fans. So, ladies and gentlemen, Herb Lawrence. <laughs> hey, I love that introduction right there, brother. That's Thank so you. good. So good.
1: All right. And now I have the honor of introducing the uh, another f- infamous producer of audio. Uh, as a Sox fan, you may know him as the level-headed side of Locked On Sox. But, of course, he agrees with Stone Pony and Herb quite a bit. So, that's up for debate. Um, we have folks on the north side who may know him better as the shelf stalker of Wrigleyville Jewel on Broadway. <laughs> or perhaps you know him as the, the uh, one guy in Chicago who does his best to make Dan, Danny Parkins sound good. He's a White Sox fan broadcast aficionado uh, because he's got more sound clips of Hawk and Ed than literally everyone on earth uh, at his fingertips at all times. He brings big white guy who loves hip-hop energy, and his dad giggle just lights up those soundboards. It's the Chris Tannehill.
2: Wow, you guys have done your homework. Folks, put your seatbelts on. This could be a bumpy ride. No, it
1: made me... The reason why I had to throw in the Wrigleyville
2: Jewel on Broadway
1: is I was inside that Jewel when I was listening to one of your guys' podcasts, and you brought up like seeing some player walk through, and I was like, what the hell? It was like the biggest like uh, hey, Tony, thing Zico. in my life.
2: Yeah, I mean that was that was the who's who because for for you Chicago listeners, that's like pretty close to Lakeshore Drive. It's the closest jewel to Lakeshore Drive, I think, in proximity. But, but so that's why it was by Wrigley Field, and all the ballplayers lived on Lakeshore Drive. But also. Uh, Bill Melton lived not too far from there. He'd come in there, at Mini Minoso. Those are some of my favorite memories, walking Mini Minoso. This guy should be a Hall of Famer, but he was yes. already a legend at that point. And then just walking him around, showing him where, you know, the laundry detergent is. You know what I mean? <laughs> and just like, you know, you know, talking, you know, socks with them. you know, like he used to sign his checks, the great Mini Minoso. <laughs> you know, he's like, he had the <laughs> Mini is- Minoso hat, I think his he drove the caddy, pushed the caddy and the license plate said Minoso 9. So this guy wanted you to know who it was. At all times, and I loved them for it, and I, I miss them. But yeah, yeah, tons of ball players in that jewel. And now thank you for the very, very uh, well vetted introduction. <laughs> <Bunch of things.
3: laughs> Couldn't help myself.
1: Couldn't help myself.
2: So Herb, where did you go? I gotta ask.
3: <laughs> oh, good. So you don't have time. Um, initially out of high school, I went to a place called Carroll College. Now it's Carroll University. It's in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Yep. Then I was like, this is not what I thought college would be. It was like a liberal arts school where you're actually going to class. It was dumb. So I <laughs> left there, went back to COD, which is College of Page, college, college of Dreams. Of dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then went to uh, Western Illinois, which, in, which is another bad choice by me. because <laughs> Where it, idiots it, unite. It's, yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. And if you graduated from the Western Illinois University, you are the smartest person ever because there is <laughs> nothing to do but drink and not do homework, which I did, and I was out of there in six months. Then I went to Illinois Media School and graduated in like ten, and that's how I got to. That. I love that. I, love I sent that. out a application for fifty dollars for Uni- University of Illinois at Champaign Urbana, and they're like, "Thanks for that fifty, though." <laughs> Dude, you gotta get that money back. That's fucked up. I mean, I, I was dumb of me to send one to them. Like I got to all the directional schools and I got a little uh I got a little uh, feeling myself. I was like, come on now, I'm dominating C O D. They <laughs> they gotta let me in. And then they looked at my high school champs like, um, two eight out of a five? Mm, that's real tough. And you don't do any homework? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I got it. You're black, but you know, we don't have those things. And you don't play any sports, so get your ass out of here. Go to <laughs> get your ass
2: to Western. <laughs> um <laughs> That's what anyone who follows Herb on Twitter has said that before. I got it. You're black. I got it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh God. Oh. But oh I God. get. weirdly enough, I get called white guy a lot of times. It's the name, man. We talked about that. Yeah. It's like <laughs> on Twitter because my my profile picture is me looking out to the Chicago skyline. Yeah, so yeah. it's just a white jersey and you know blue jeans. So you don't know I'm black unless you really know. And then so many times I talk about black white issues on Twitter and somebody's like. Mm, I don't like white guys talking about that <laughs> I'm
2: like, <"What>? either. <laughs> Me neither.
3: Classic. Me so. Well,
0: let's hop into the White Sox side of things since cool. we are both White Sox podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Now, we wanted to start by asking you guys about your White Sox fandom roots. Um, and you've got quite the collection of memorabilia behind you there. Uh, courtesy of Tanny. So, Tanny, we'll have you start. What's uh, how about those White Sox roots for you?
2: Yeah. So you know, my dad loved baseball. Still loves baseball. You know, his dad loved baseball. My my grandfather actually he before World War II was you know was, well let's go back even further. So my oh, great geez. great uncle Lee Tannehill was on the Hitless Wonders uh, World Championship team, the White Sox back in. Oh, God. 1906. Yes. Yeah. So he was, yeah, he was on that team. And, you know, I don't even know like which side, but I just don't, I, you know, not which side. But like, you know, I, I don't know if I could trace him if you gave me like a family tree exactly. But he is my great great uncle. And that's kind of like my family is is old, uh, been in America for a long time and always loved baseball. It's always been a part of of our family. And so years later my grandfather loved baseball he before he went to world war ii like he had tryouts for the white Sox among other teams but you know duty called and you know he went to serve uh, the country in world war ii and you know it was just always a baseball family spreading that baseball love down to my dad and my dad spreading it to me and i just remember you know going to games at old comiskey park vaguely you know i just have like little you know, flashes of memories from those but like my most vivid memory is going to the first game at New Comiskey Park in 1991 and it, at that point I'm eight years old so you get me right in the wheelhouse of when you start to like sports and when you really start to remember things like that and seeing this man here number 35 just you know knocking baseballs all over the yard you know at that age it's it was, there was nothing like it you know so that that's really where it starts for me and it haven't stopped ever since you know and some of the, the great memories with my dad going to ball games and you know, it's, it's always a family thing. And now I have my own family. I get to take to games. So yeah, I just been, been a Sox fan my whole life. My family's full of Sox fans and the tradition continues, man. The great, what great, great uncle or something like that. Great, great, great uncle on the hitless
0: wonders. I never knew that. That is so fantastic. Yeah, that you, is such an amazing, interesting bit of white hit, Sox trivia. He
2: hit the first grand slam in the original comiskey park if that's his claim to fame even though he could not hit he the, the hitless wonders and he was he was <laughs> wow. certainly among them but you
3: looking it up it oh it
2: was horrendous yeah but uh you know again it was dead ball era herb so let's <laughs> see be a little fair but uh <laughs> but, but yeah they do flags fly forever and they played the last game of the year and they won it so over the cubs too <laughs> that's right don't yep.
0: yeah so <laughs> that is amazing all right. You know, her, I, I will say ahead, really me.
1: quick, uh, I got a little nervous when you said you weren't sure which side he was on, because going that far back, you may be talking about the Civil War at that point, you know, so well, you're not that's sure. why, as I always
2: say, you know, a, a lot of people do the 23andMe and me Ancestry.com. But if you're a white guy in America, just don't don't bother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's, probably it's, bad. it's probably bad, and, you know, but, but you know, my, my only hope is like, you know, they were they were so poor. Back then that they had no choice but to play baseball so they were never in any positions of power over people so and everyone eventually wound up north so hopefully uh, that's a good sign but yeah i, I would recommend just don't even look
0: <laughs> yeah so good. my god well I got to ask here, speaking of, of white people who have privilege <laughs> and power, um, Herb, you grew up in Wheaton. Yes. I, okay. <laughs> I got I to gotta ask here.
1: What a of, segue. What a know, segue, right?
0: people. <laughs> my, my girlfriend works out in technically Glen Ellen, but she has a bunch of Wheaton students uh, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a, a youth pastor. Um, so every single one of those kids is a Cubs fan. Or they're some fan of some obscure team because their parent was like from Pittsburgh or something like that. Mm -hmm. Get me rolling with the Sox fandom. What was it for you?
3: Well, my family was not into sports at all, really, except for the Jordan Bulls. They were big time fans of that. But um, as for baseball, we would just go where the wind blew. So my first game was when I was like eight and I went to a Cubs game. My aunt took me first White Sox game like ninety five. But I started watching the White Sox just like in 1990. And I was like, you know, this is very exciting. You know, um, seeing this guy, Robin Maturis looks great. Jack McDowell is good. And this is coming off the 89 Cubs. So, you know, I had a choice. But I've been always a contrarian. You know, I didn't go to the more popular Wheaton school, which is Wheaton South. I could have gone there. My sisters went there. My whole family went to Wheaton South with Wheaton Central. But I was like, I want to pay. I want to go my own path and pave my own way. And so that's what I did with the White Sox. I was like, I'm going to go for the scrappy team that no one really likes in my part of town. As you said, Wheaton is big-time Cub territory. No one really liked the White Sox in 1990. They liked them after because 91 is or 90 is when they introduced the, the logo we're seeing now with the old English SOX and the pinstripes. But it was just a choice of mine because I'm a contrarian, and I didn't like to be... I didn't like the name Cubby. It sounded childish. <laughs> it is. It's weak, right? It's so I was like, weak. 11, 12 year old. I was like, I am not going to be in this childish ass <laughs> team fandom. No, I want to go to an adult team, a team that's trying to win. I don't want to be all cute and cuddly. So I went to the White Sox and from time to time, I tell myself, like, I'm going to beat that 12 year old's ass. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna go back in in history or in past and grab me a, a Delorean and beat him up because, for making me a White Sox and Atlanta fan. But now I'm like, all right, kid, you were smart, you had something in you. But so that's how I became a White Sox fan just because I'm a dick. Fair. <laughs> okay. I so, love
1: that you went to the wrong high or the other high school as yeah. well. Like that's
3: yeah, the that's one commitment I I went to Wheaton South, but instead I wanted to go to wheat north and not win state championships hey
0: that's okay you know because i went to a small high school as well and we were not good at sports but it made me look like a great athlete compared to all my friends so <laughs> that is one thing that i did truly enjoy um now i gotta ask you guys because you're both oh not much older than us but a little I'm bit older really than older us. than you. <laughs>
2: I mean, I am. I don't know, Tanny. No, no, I am too. I could tell. I could just, I mean, I Tanny
0: said his first game was in '91 when he was eight, and you were talking about going to your first game in '95. I was born in '95. Tom was born in '95. Um,
1: <laughs> they just so, hang up on us.
3: <laughs> I gotta ask. I mean, luckily we're not a part of. I just the- how do you? I just wonder how you guys, are White Sox fans. I guess '2005. <laughs> but like nah, yeah. not even
1: not even like yeah you,
3: know, you got Tommy's worked. is
0: is ridiculous I, right. I i honestly this dude owned an astros jersey before he owned a white Sox jersey
2: i hope it was yeah. a throwback it was, it was it was
0: <laughs> it
1: was it was like a it was the golden blue that they wow. did like way back and uh my parents, my grandparents were like snowbirds and they lived down there in their rv <clears throat> teaching uh kids in um San Antonio about Jesus, because that's that's them. Um, And they bought me a jersey while they were down there. And so I was a Houston Astros fan before I was a Sox fan. And that was um, right around 05. And by that, I mean, it was during the World Series. I was rather torn. Yeah. Yikes. Right. Uh, But I was I was 10. So, you know, it was right around the age where I should have been, you know, fandom swayed but uh i was not and then i uh i bought in real hard uh when i started like having my own money and being able to go to games and stuff so uh but yeah it's been it's just in the blood for me so everybody in my dad's side is is uh since my grandpa who moved down from like way north in minnesota it's just been white Sox fans through and through can't help it
2: Oh, you guys are young. Are you guys posting this on TikTok? Is this show, <laughs> show going to be on the TikTok when it's over? The no, TikTok, I like it. I am, uh, I am not that much of a.
0: What, what's the new generation? The Zoomers, right?
1: Nah, no, we're not. We're generation not Gen Z. Z. We're not none of that. Nah, nah, nah. But uh, <laughs> I need a replay of that. Well, are you I posting got... it on TikTok? Or...
2: <laughs> Good. My grandsons always tell me about the TikTok. I hope the podcast <laughs> be on there.
0: well then i gotta ask you guys what does 2005 to you still mean if it means anything to you
3: like everything my favorite day of all time and i tell this this my girlfriend long-time girlfriend is october 26 2005 bar none and my second favorite day is april 4th 2005 that's the beginning of the year October 26th, of course, the White Sox won two games, the Jeff Blum game and the World Series game four. So yeah, that 2005 team I lives in my head. Probably there's not a week that goes by since that I don't think about something that happened during that year. And it was just a wild ride where while you're going through it, you don't realize how hard that was for them to do that because it seemed so effortless. It, like, all right, we're beating Boston. All right, we're beating the Angels. All right, we beat the Astros. We won the World Series. What? Like, and you look back, you're like, God damn, that was hard. But they made it look so damn easy. It was 2005 is like probably the greatest year in the history of ever. <laughs>
2: yeah, <it's, laughs> I love that. It's weird because I feel like the the more further we get removed from it, it, it should mean less. But then you think about the other stuff around it that's really important, like you know, spending time with my dad and you know, we had lost my grandfather in March of that year. So, you know, he never got to see it. So you appreciate that. Okay. Like, you know, going to world series game one, like me and my dad, you know, he, you know, the first world series game in Chicago since 1959 and me and my dad got to see it together. And, you know, I'll never forget Ozzie, you know, calling for Bobby Jenks that night and and striking out, you know, Jeff Bagwell there and then going on to the ninth inning. And, it's it's the second greatest day of my life, you know, behind my daughter's birth, which, you know, I'm not lying about, you know, that's, that's number one right there. So won't num- be my number one, you know, my daughter's being born and then number two. World Series and three getting married you know it's going to
1: say like i have. think yeah. married has to be
2: on the list somewhere it's three it's a very it's a very hard three i don't <laughs> you know I, you know and i think and, it'll it'll stay there even even if they win a world series this year i think and, it'll still stay there and you three. married her
3: for a reason she <laughs> understands that right she
2: knows what it is yeah exactly <laughs> so like i remember you know on, the, on my wedding day at the in, inconsequential uh, division race of 2012 you know the, the white Sox beat the twins that day so it's like we guys we remember things like in life through baseball so you know it's you know i remember the movie fever pitch it's like you know you have to be a passionate person to love baseball so it's like it's why they love us i think so they they know what it is but yeah it's just a a great year that you know i've so so many associations with family and it's just good times all around and, and i wish i would have it's it's weird because I wish I would have slowed it down and tried to appreciate it as it was happening. But you're so caught up in the adrenaline of watching a game every day. And you know, I remember was, I was in college at that time. So, like, you know, it's just everything was going by so fast in life at that time. I just wish we could have slowed it down. But that's why, you know, there's DVDs and, you know, you have those memories in your head forever. So Before we move on, to, I didn't get Steve's origin
3: story. I'm sorry about that.
0: Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Um, origin story. So, yeah, I would. So my mom grew up in Brookfield. Um, my dad kind of grew up in Brookfield, but then moved out to the sticks uh, when he was like 10. Um, so he actually was kinda, he was more so a Cubs fan because that's the that's what came on the TV. Um, you know, you could turn on the TV and WGN would be broadcasting all the Cubs games. Um, it got to the late 80s, early 90s, and he was just kind of fed up with the way the Cubs were running the organization not being fan centered, not, you know, really having opportunities outside of, you know, you just hop around the bars in Wrigleyville. Um, even though my dad does enjoy his, his beers. Um, so it's not like he, he doesn't enjoy that, but, um, yeah, I think that was a big thing for it. My dad was like, okay, you know, once he went to college and once he was able to get more than just WGN, you know, baseball games, um, he grew an appreciation for the other side of town and what was going on probably during that nineties era too. Like for you guys, I mean, he's 55 now. So, I mean, he, you know, really loved, you know, those teams that had Ventura and, and Thomas and McDowell and big pen, you know, and those guys were just incredible really. Um, in putting the white Sox on the map. Um, and my mom was born and raised a white Sox fan because of my uncle's Um, her parents weren't into sports, um, but my uncles would always take her to ball games and my uncles are quite a bit older than my mom. Um, they're like the youngest of the uncles is like six years older than my mom. The oldest of my uncles is like 12 years older than my mom. So they would take my mom to, to ball games. And, uh, she says she still remembers watching Wilbur Wood pitch and, you know, Bill Melton hitting it, you know? The rooftop shot bombs and all that. So that that's really, I think, you know, it starts with my parents. I was, you know, my parents were Sox fans, and getting to enjoy 2005 with them was was awesome. Like I remember, I've never seen my mom more excited for a sporting anything in my entire life than when the final out, you know, over the head of Jenks, Uribe fields it and throws out you know, I, she literally jumped up and down and was screaming. She was that excited. So that that's 2005 to me. Like if I could capture it in one moment, it was that it was my mom jumping up and down so quickly and getting so excited and, and yelling that I just embraced my dad because I was scared of my mom. in that moment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So, well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I gotta ask you guys are, are 670 the score, workers, employees, um, the, the, the men who make, you know, the magic happen on the airwaves. Uh, but there's, there's also some fun stuff, I'm sure, that happens behind the scenes. So we wanted to ask you guys if you could tell us each either your favorite or your funniest story about working at the station.
3: Um, probably my favorite thing that I get to do at the score or what I used to get to do. Is when I was uh, producing Mike North and Doug Buffone, and so we would fly to Super Bowls. So this year it was, oh, so that year it was San Diego. So 2003, I think, was the actual year, February 2003. And you know, we would do the show in the morning and then go ahead and do our own thing. But one of these nights, Doug was like, you know, I don't feel like staying in the hotel. I'm tired. I want to go out to a casino. I was like, bet. But San Diego, it's not in the city. San Diego is a huge county also, and they count that as part of the city. So it's an hour and a half bus ride out to, I think it was a Vieques um, casino out there in uh, San Diego. And so me and Doug are taking this shuttle bus from downtown San Diego all the way out to the sticks. And you know, I'm thinking at this time, I'm like, man, I'm going to dominate out here. Poker, blackjack, I'm going to kill. Sit down at the table. I think it was blackjack, about $200. 30 minutes later, I'm cashed. I'm out. I'm done. All my <laughs> money's gone. And then I go, like, you know, to find Doug, and he's rolling in it. All <laughs> Doug did was do um, the slot machines. It was weird. Like, of course. This big-ass human used to play football 14 years for the bears just doing the casino just having a quarter putting it into the machine cooling down the lever but he made money he was awesome at it and then he's like oh little buddy uh i got you breakfast and such so we took the long ass trip back to uh downtown san diego and i remember just like having a conversation with doug of just about life you know it's like 23 24 and Doug telling me all about the stuff that he used to do. You know, he used to own clubs in Chicago is a big time restaurant tour. Um, he had business on the side and like, he used to go out clubbing and things like that. And I was just like, man, that night was just so great. Like fast forward to 2015 and one night, like, this is a long story. Sorry guys, but no, you know, I love this to, to get to bring this. it, bring it. So all this things led up to 2015 It was like a Sunday night or something like that until Monday. And I was having trouble sleeping. And I woke up at like six in the morning and I looked, I was like, I had a feeling like I want to go to San Diego. I want to like live in San Diego for some reason. I was just like searching that for three hours, went to sleep at nine in the morning, woke up at one. And that's where Mitch sent the thing that Doug had died. I was like, like, like I was thinking to myself, like, that's not coincidence, me thinking about San Diego, me being with Doug in San Diego, that only time I've been there and he dying that same day, I was like, something's telling me that. And literally that Friday, I told Mitch, I gave my two weeks and I was like, I gotta go. And so I like started Uber driving to make money for San Diego and I left like in January. So that those type of relationships, you don't get anywhere else. Like I would have never met Doug Buffon in any other (laughs) capacity other than working at the score. Like you meet those type of people. And when people say that Doug Buffon is the most beloved person at score, that is a, like that's like a one, two race between him and Terry boards. So either one of those guys, if you've had a time to sit down either a post game show with Doug or just muscling around with Terry during his show, those guys are great people. Like meeting those people off the air, telling real stories is what I like about the score.
2: I don't think I ever knew that little wrinkle about Doug passing away and that that was the connection to San Diego. That's pretty cool. I'm yeah. actually glad you glad you had that, uh, that super long uh, story. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that Herb. That was yeah. so dope. But you know, you mentioned Doug and like, you know, those are some of the great memories I had producing the post-game show with Doug and OB and watching the, uh, the, the 2010 NFC title game with the Packers with that was the last game I watched with Doug. It was a was horrible, obviously, but Doug and OB <laughs> watching it and, just you know, but just being at the score, it's like you, you laugh harder than than you've ever laughed in your life. Working with some of the best people you'll ever meet—that's like the best way I could you know, summarize the score. And it, and it happens often. It's maybe not so much this past year because it's less of a communal atmosphere because so many people are at home. But just like it's always a place where the second you walk in the door, you sort of forget about whatever things are bothering you about life, and you know, you're with like-minded people, and you know, just have a good time. But if I had to like, you know pin it down to one memory it's you know when I was fortunate enough to replace Jason Goff on Boers and Bernstein hmm. back in 2012 when Jason left for Atlanta and that was such a big deal to me because I had grew up listening to that show and you know I was in high school listening to that show and here you are on a legacy radio show Bors and Bernstein and you're just trying your best to to make your own mark and um you know it had many great years but when Terry Bores announced that he was going to retire, he's like, I'm, I just want to go to one last Super Bowl. And her mentioned the Super Bowl trips, like in radio, the sports radio, that's just such a big deal. And it's such a fun thing. If you're lucky enough to, you know, experience a Super Bowl trip, there's nothing quite like it. It's just such a spectacle beyond spectacles. Okay. So I got to go on this trip with Dan and Terry and the executive producer, Matt Abadacola got sick, so he couldn't go. So all of a sudden I am ushered into the EP role and I'm booking guests on the fly on radio row. That was in San Francisco uh, back in, I think that was 2017. Uh, But yeah, it was just, it was amazing just seeing all these celebrities and being there hanging with Dan and Terry for basically an entire week, you know, going out to dinner with those guys and meeting up guys you know, like Matt Miller and going out to dinner with Hub Arkish and just, you know, being all of a sudden you feel like you're, you're, you're in the club for real, for real. Like I had been a full-time employee for years already, but that's like the next level stuff where I knew in the moment I was like, oh, this is going to be something I'll probably never get to do again. And I haven't. And I just knew to appreciate every second of it and just Radio Row that year. This was like when Tim Tebow hmm. was was still in his in his in his prime, as far as like being a, a, a multimedia celebrity. Like back when he was on good morning America. And he had just retired from football and just seeing him walk through radio row. It was, it was really just like Moses with all his followers. It. Like it was a, <laughs> a wave of people following him around radio row. And you know, you'd you see the, the wave of people move. And then all of a sudden you, you try, try to find out who's at the head of that wave. And Oh, it's Tim Tebow quite, of course, who else would it be? But Tebow, you know, I remember one guy walked in the room, everyone stopped athletes, radio people, everyone in the building stopped when this guy walked in because he was the coolest dude in the room and that was Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. When, when Jr. walked in, every athlete, I don't care who you are, they wanted to take a selfie with Ken Griffey Jr. And like, that was an unbelievable moment. And you know, uh, you know Adriana Lima, the mo- the supermodels there in the next booth to us. You know what I mean? Just like every time you turn your head, it's like here's here's a a Hall of Famer, or here's a, a celebrity. And I remember Cuba Gooding Jr. that year. That was right when the People versus OJ Simpson came out. Okay, was, yeah. doing his tour of Radio Row, and that was like another situation where it's like, oh, okay, I get it that's what uh an actor is looks like that's how an actor carries himself in public <laughs> just like you know glad handing everyone and everyone just kind of like ooh, a hollywood celebrity you know that type of thing <laughs> um but yeah it was just it was an awesome trip and just you know that that's the one experience i'll i'll, I'll never forget you know but in my role I, guys like me don't get to do that we stay in in the control room and run the board but like that was an exception and that was an amazing time in san francisco i believe
0: it wow that's awesome like I can count the amount of, you know, even B-list celebrities I've met on less than one hand. So that's, that's amazing. I, I, I kind of envy that. Like I would also be starstruck though. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Like the fact that we booked you guys for this interview, I was already like, oh my God, like
2: (laughs) I'm starstruck. I'm like, you know, I don't know if her, you know, can like recall like the, whatever the first moment happened for you. But like when you're working in the, in the industry, sports talk radio, you're on the phone with, with, with athletes all the time but every once in a while you have that moment where you're like oh shit and that was for me it was when we had I was producing White Sox Weekly with Ranji and Jim Tomey called and I just remember picking up and hi this is Jim Tomey. And It's like <laughs> oh hey Jim how are you hi and, and that's you know, <laughs> just like oh my god this is a hall of famer right here you know i think at that point he had already hit that home run in the blackout game so he was already a legend you know what i mean but it's just like and now he's in my basement here during the, with us during the <laughs> podcast every day so it's that's great
1: freaking <laughs> hilarious and of course he would answer the phone hi <laughs> yep, exactly just, like, you'd
0: expect. Hi. just that, like midwestern way too midwestern nice yeah, like
1: <laughs> so funny Good God! Okay, this was this is a throwing question, and you guys can be political about it and like dodge it if you want. But I had I like I just like it came to me, and I had to. So, you guys work for six seven score. Mm-hmm. Is there radio beef that we don't know about? Like, are the guys at WKQX like total assholes, or is ESPN one thousand like you don't want to talk to them, or like? WGN guys, I actually think you guys have talked about liking WGN a lot, but I want some beef if you can.
3: I don't it's the I think, tea? Well, the only thing it wasn't really beef. Like David Kaplan had blocked me a couple of years ago, <laughs> just because I, God, uh, I hate that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's uh, right when that. What's that? The game. The yeah, station eighty-seven, seven. Yeah. Yeah, that had kind of uh, blown up. It was when. Finfer and Julie DeCaro had like gotten fired on the air, mm-hmm. and so I was going off on Twitter. I was like, you know, this is bullshit. These guys, you know, sports radio is pretty easy. They gave them only six months to make ratings on a station that no one can get. And then I found out through the article that Quigley had known who was the the co-host with Ben Finfer and Cap, who had did the show before. Um Ben Finford knew like hours before that they were going to get fired and so I was like you know shame on Quigley shame on uh, Cap for not telling this guy hey man this is our last day and he had to find out on there same thing with Julie DeCaro that's bullshit and I was yeah, pissed for sure. about that and then he DM'd me something you don't know what's going on blah 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 I only knew an hour before I was like that's plenty of time yeah. <laughs> <I need> to <laughs> tell somebody hey shoot a text like shit Ben <laughs> You're gone. We're done here. Like he knew Cap knew he was going to be cool. He knew he was WGN. He was going to be going on to the next thing. His money was going to be safe. But Ben had left the score and going over to the game, you know, things that was a big time of bone of contention for many people like Connor going over there, Ho going over there, you know, Mitch is loyal to all these people. And once you like break that loyalty, it's like you're not coming back. Like the Connor coming back to the score is a big time deal, and it wasn't Mitch's call. So I'll get that's a different story. But
2: once you leave the I, score, except literally, I think they all came back. Hope came back. No, Hope didn't come back. It <laughs> wasn't he the Bears reporter after that. No, or was that before? That was
3: before. Okay, he, he left. He was gone. The only reason Connor came back is because our horrible. Uh, well, sorry, I, can't. I mean, yeah, he was horrible. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jimmy DeCastro was horrible. He ruined our station for like two, three years, Then he left again, like he does with everything. But that's the only reason why he came back is because Jimmy hired Connor. But like, like him, for Ben Fenford to get fired from that station, he knew that he probably wasn't going to come back to the score because you burned that bridge with Mitch. And that's a, a yeah. thing. He's loyal to you if you stay. But if you burn him and go to a competition, it's pretty much cash. So I was pissed about like Ben won't find a job. But he did at ESPN for a little bit. But I don't know what he's doing in the industry anymore. And yeah, so I was that's kind of super hated. bogus. But like since then, Cap and I have, you know, we're not like buddies or anything, but we're on Twitter together and he'll like a couple of things I the <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but like, I just didn't like how he handled that. Um, no, for as far sure. as anybody else, like I grew up in the industry under Jonathan Hood. So whatever he does, I'm good with. I think Tanny interned for ESP 1000 So yeah. Hood is always good for me. All the rest of the guys I've never really met. Like I never met Tom Waddle or Sylvie or was it Karm uh, or Yurko?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Like, you know, most radio people are assholes because we're all insecure. And that's why we're in radio. <laughs> so like there's potentially there's beef around every corner when you're talking about radio people, because we're also very sensitive. But the reality is like it's such a business where you never know who you could be working for or who could be working for you down the road. Mm -hmm. So you always try to treat people with respect. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty good friends with uh, Adam Abdallah, who produces Waddle and Sylvie. The direct competition, they're on in the afternoons, just like this Parkinson Spiegel show. And sometimes we'll like, you know, text or DM each other during the show. Like, oh, this guest was a real doozy today. And knowing that that person's (laughs) going to be on with them. I'm like, good (laughs) luck with this guy coming up. You know what I mean? Just stuff like that. You know, it's just like, there's so many people that have crossed paths and you really try to like, just be cool with everyone. And, you know, I I love Cap. You know, Cap's awesome. You know, me and him are, are good. But yeah, I wish there was there was more to say in that regard. But that's my philosophy anyway, is like I always treat people with respect, you know, even if I wasn't in radio, because you never know how it could come back around. But yeah, there's certain things that have happened over the years that I that I hate that happened because it's also a business where there's a lot of turnover and your failures become very public and you know, it's it's hard to not get emotional about those things. Like, you know, when when Jason Goff was fired, like that was one of the hardest days uh, of my life, and it wasn't even happening to me. Like it was happening to one of my best friends, and I yeah. got to still stick around there and work. But like stuff like that's hard, man. So like,
3: and that's Jimmy DeCastro.
2: Yeah. So it just it's it's difficult. You know that that's why you, you try to you know that there's common ground with everyone in the in the business, and you know the 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 the, the dicks are few and far between because we all know how fragile. <laughs> The business is.
3: I mean, there's one guy universally that, well, Taney doesn't really hate anybody, but there's one guy universally every person at the score that worked with him does not like, and that's Mike Murphy, 100%. <laughs> the guy's just a bad dude. He's just a, a terrible guy. Like, you can have different opinions, but he is a horrible dude who doesn't care about his coworkers, or I don't even know if he cares about <laughs> other people. He just cares about what Mike Murphy's doing, <laughs> Chris. You got that smirk on your face, like you got something to say. Oh, about like this. I, n-
2: I never had the uh, the pleasure of of producing or working for Murph. You know, like yeah, imagine so. like
3: pleasure. All of,
2: all of what I've heard is like from people that I know and love and respect. They all shit on him at all at all costs. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? So I like... mean,
3: think about the genius that Tania is with audio <laughs> and Murph, like muffling that. That's what he'll do. Like Spiegel was great at audio, and he would muffle him because he wanted to do Murph show. He, he Murph would run his own like sound, like run that Gillette a little lower. <laughs> he like he would have sound throughout the uh throughout him speaking, and then the, the <laughs> bucks get in there. Uh, yeah. And then he would call the people voice. not by their names. They're, like they called Lawrence Jerome multiple times, not even <laughs> close. He called Jason Coolbreeze. He would call oh people God. who were answering phones. He's like, just call them phone. He's like, phone. That's my
2: favorite shit hey, ever. Hey, just, phone. Just distilling someone down to their to the most minimalist minimalistic part of their job, calling someone <laughs> phone. I, I can't help but love that, actually. Yeah, I don't know so if that's
0: fun. worse or if literally calling – <laughs> Black guys, Jerome, Jerome and yes, Cool no. Breeze. Like, people, people, don't think that's true. That Those things are 100%
3: true. Oh my god.
2: That's
3: so bad. That's that is <laughs> like, it's beyond cringeworthy. Yeah, he, he's a terrible, terrible, terrible human being. I wish him luck at, I was at ESM on the weekends. Great. Yeah. But yeah, he was terrible to work with. I didn't work with him on a day to day basis. I only worked with him at like when we did the Smith and Walensky remotes.
2: Oh, and, okay.
3: And he had like kind of tried to snap at me, but I was like, never, never, ever, ever will you snap me in public? I'm a grown man. <laughs> and then he right know, pretty much shipped up, shipped up and made uh, made sure that he did not talk shit to me about anything in public. Oh <laughs> my goodness. Well, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Dumb, sorry. I'm I'm dead. I'm fucking dead.
1: The best was He's a fucking awful person. Yeah. You're entitled to other opinions,
3: but he's fucking awful. <laughs> like that's why like you might have bad people to work with, but <laughs> at the heart of them they're good people otherwise. Like Fair. me and like me and me and Cap thing, I know he's a good dude. I've had a, you know, it's probably me because I've had a thing with Molly. But at the heart of it, Molly's a good dude. I just think sometimes he's abrasive. He comes off a little different, but I would never say Mully's a bad guy. Murph is a bad dude. That I mean, that <laughs> you could ask anybody who's worked with him. It's, maybe he's mellowed out in his old age at ESPN One Thousand, but his score days were shit. Nice. Okay, so nice. of all of the the shit people that you've probably met in the sports
0: industry, who is like the most detestable person that you've had to? line up an interview with or like just like absolutely hated interacting with them because they were just such an ass
3: um i didn't really try to interview this guy but he always tried to like make our in our interactions uncomfortable so early white Sox, uh the hood show i think started in 2001 and so hood would be like hey we need to get out there to the players, so we need to go to Pre-game for White Sox, pregame for Cubs, go out to House Hall, meet these people, go out to the Blackhawks, you know, press some flesh and all that good stuff. And so throughout this, we sparked up a relationship and a friendship with Aaron Rowan, who was a, Mm. you know, he played a little bit that time, but the (laughs) starter was Kenny Lofton. Right. So Hood and I are always at Aaron Rowan's locker, just chatting him up, man, man. Great game, and he's he loves the Bears. We're talking about the Bears and shit. And Kenny Lofton, every single time, would be like, like he would have a look on his face, like, "Why are you talking to him? He's not even playing. I'm the starter. I'm Kenny Lofton." Like he would have this disgust on his face, like we're in his space, and we're <laughs> as two black dudes, we're supposed to be talking to him instead of talking to this backup <laughs> center fielder. But no, Kenny Lofton was abrasive <laughs> and a dick. And Aaron Rowan is probably one of the best athletes I've ever dealt with, ever. He just so so down to earth, mm-hmm. loves the Bears, was like good at baseball just by happenstance, and a good dude otherwise. So it was like awesome to talk to him when Kenny Lofton left. We wanted Aaron Rowan to start, and we didn't think Aaron Rowan was gonna be the guy that he turned out to be, like an eventual all-star. But we loved his career. But Kenny Lofton, it just it sat wrong with me. Maybe. He was a better dude otherwise, like when he was a Cub or or an Indian. But our interactions in the White Sox clubhouse were not great.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's weird, like, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm not an EP, so I I don't do a lot of guest booking. So usually I'm just like, you know, pumping people up with audio. So people, you know, always, you know, throw praise in my direction. So I don't deal with. With people on a on a level like Herb does on a regular basis, so I don't have many stories about people being standoffish or jerks. But the one thing you going back to that Super Bowl trip, like. David deal is, is not a dickhead. Okay. Like he's a great analyst, you know, a fun guy, local guy, I think a Sox fan too. Right. Probably so. Yeah. So, you know, former, uh, Illini offensive lineman, you know, world, you know, world series or world champion with the giants. And I was down at the super bowl that year and boards and Bernstein, they were just rip the shit out of David deal. Whenever he was being <laughs> yeah. an analyst, he, he did a lot of bears <laughs> games that year. And he was repped. You probably think he still is repped by the same guy that repped Brian Billick. so, you know, I, I had a pretty good relationship with, with, with that guy. And, you know, it just, you know, I was like, "All right, we're lining up David Deal here to talk to us on Radio Row." Mm. And then five minutes later, his guy comes back to his, "Wait, this is Chicago, right? You, you, David's going to be on with Chicago." I said, "Yeah." He's like, "Nope, that's that's a no go. David's not." Doing it. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and I, and I was like, oh, well, I can't really blame <laughs> David for that one, you know." So, and I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do it because they would have immediately said, "Well, he's the one playing all the drops of you," so that would have <laughs> been. <laughs> That would have been ugly. Know. So, yeah, that's not David Deal's fault. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been cool ever since. But that was the one time where I was ever like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I crossed the line there with David Deal. And I'd rather not <laughs> cross it. So, yeah.
3: so fucking, that's I mean, great story. And not,
2: he's a jerk. And I got
3: the other story. I think I told it here on uh, Locked on Socks where we're getting a call from Rick Hahn. Uh, it was a Lawrence home show, which we're doing now, uh, noon to two. <laughs> and it was, what, two, three months ago? I forgot when Rick Hahn called in. maybe was oh, it like a year ago maybe during the season, I have no <laughs> idea. Um, <laughs> and so on this show and on the score, I multiple times had said, "Hey, Rick Hahn is Teflon Rick because nobody in this town wants to take it to him. No one wants to actually take his record to him and say he's not good at his job so far. They just want to fawn over him because he's good. He's a good orator, he's an affable guy. Gives up good answers. Messes with Vinnie Duber every once in a while. Awesome. Just the mustache. (laughs) And so, yeah, exactly. And so my Jeff Rick thing is always about the treatment of Rick Hahn, not Rick Hahn himself. Mm -hmm. So he calls in for the interview. I have to answer the phone. I'm the both executive producer and the guy who runs the board. So I'm like score studio. This is Herb. It's like Herb. This is Rick Hahn, White Sox general manager. I was like, hey, Rick, how you doing today? He's like, doing fine. Just uh, wearing that Teflon suit like you want me to. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I was like, you listen. That's good. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was so great. And then he went on to had a great interview with Lawrence. And then uh, after the interview, we said pleasantries, and it was that was it. I, I, on oh, the phone. I, I, he literally saying, said that. Yeah. While well, saying all these things on Locked on Sox or the score, you think you're just talking to your friends or the producer on the other side of the glass, but these things get back to these people. And Damn. so, yeah, I was like, Oh, geez. I
2: was like, that's amazing. I was like like
3: it's a great thing that he call, <laughs> called me on my shit and then, you know, pretty much had a good time with it. He, you know, he's probably not thinking of me otherwise. Oh it's my all, yeah. God. That's awesome. Like that's, that's kind of badass. I'm I not going to lie. Great. That from there on, I'm like, oh, I can't hate this guy anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's pretty cool. He like pretty much pretty much told me what what to do with my shit and Get out of here, you jerk. Yeah. And ever,
2: <laughs> ever since then, you know, of course, the Tony La Russa hiring happened. So Rick Hahn's really been, you know, Herb's really been team Rick Hahn over here as much as he wants to <laughs> take the opposite stance. But yeah, Rick Rick has endeared himself to Herb after that. And uh, if I if I see Rick Hahn in person, I'm buying him a beer for that one. Give it no, yeah. I back to him. I love it. <laughs> it's fucking wonderful. Shit. Well,
0: I'll tell you what. With that Rick Hahn comment, that makes me think about some other comments that that players have made, you know, over the past couple weeks. Um, And a lot of it comes down to the mentality of the team. So, like, Tim Anderson saying, you know, we need that dog in us. Go out and kill these motherfuckers. Um, Giolito saying we need to step on teams' throats and kill other teams until the very end. Um, Do you think the Sox – now, this is, like, really throwing it back for you guys a little bit. Like, during – your era of really getting into sports. Do you think the White Sox could be like this bad boys of major league baseball?
3: I want them to like, I want Timmy to every time he sees Heath Phil or Brad Keller to hit home runs off him and pimp a home run every single time and be hated. Like the only people who would like the White Sox are their fans. Like, Mm -hmm. like I want them to be when I heard that from Lucas Cialito, I was kind of taken aback. It's like, whoa, Lucas, nice. Right. California boy Lucas stepping on throats, killing folks. I was like, <laughs> I like the mentality that's been permeating through the clubhouse. Like, Timmy started it. You can start feeling it. And like anything, um, that 05 team, it had an edge to it. Ask about Carl Everett. That man had an edge about him. He had something to do. And AJ, you know, those you don't need to be liked by everybody else. Like Aji said, it's like everybody hates AJ. We just hate him a little less here. I want that. I want the White Sox to be have this mental edge like these people, even some of our fans are doubting us. And fuck everybody who does. (laughs) Right. And we want So you're a
1: Zach Collins truther. I knew it. I fucking knew it. God damn it, bro.
3: He, that guy,
2: <laughs> when are we gonna get to his at bat in the playoffs? When are we gonna, oh through, my we, are we gonna do a big breakdown of Zach Collins's at bat in the postseason from last please Oh, favorite pitch? Oh man. Good <laughs> ward. Yeah. Now. I, I don't I don't know if they can ever be the bad boys of baseball. I mean, who are we talking about here? You know, elo Jimenez with his with oh, his I'm red gloves sorry. and the high mom. Hi mom. So <laughs> memeable and smiley. Like that's that's out of the question. It, Johan is going to be him. No, like unless you're just jealous, unless you're just jealous of like pure sex appeal, like then maybe that's a thing, but not like Liam Hendrix. Everybody hates Australians. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but like, yeah, but they're so crazy, though. They sort of break through like to the other side. I of, mean, don't we hate
3: <laughs> who do we not hate more than Grant Balfour?
2: Well, these are two different guys. <laughs> Wait, Steve
1: Irwin. Come on. Like he's the <laughs> most <laughs> lovable human in the world ever. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so like, who else are we talking about here? You know, Luis Robert, who's been in the country like for five minutes and <laughs> he just loves everything. You know, and he, he, him and his winter coat—I mean, he's so adorable. Who's <laughs> the most
3: hateable person on the White Sox? We were it's, glossing over him. It's T A. No, if you're a fan of the other team, no, it's the right fielder. I hate him. You uh, hate him. Yeah, I think, yeah, we Everybody all hate him. Yeah, yeah. Ozzy um, hates him. Yeah, I mean,
0: think about it. Like, well, Rus is the manager of this team too, right? Like. Are they not the bad boys of the division,
1: at least? Wait, a 70 plus year old man is not a bad boy. I'm a oh,
0: 70 plus <laughs> year old man who apparently can't, you know, keep his blood alcohol content in check yeah keichel's kind of a bad dude Got well keichel because right.
2: the, the astros thing that's the only thing i can see is people yeah. linking him back to the astros thing keichel's a good one lance Lynn will be here for a year you know and then you know they'll move on so i haven't heard he, no he,
1: extension tanny no extension
2: uh, i think they're gonna try you know but i think a lot of that <laughs> will will be predicated on what dylan cease does this year what michael Kopeck does this year they may not mm-hmm. have to I think if they have their druthers, they wouldn't have to extend Lance Lynn. But yeah, I mean I just I don't see how this team ever becomes crochet too, right? Yeah. I don't see how they ever become hateable. You know, unless they just keep winning and just by, you know, default, because, you know, you look at those Yankees teams that were so dominant, like, you know, but Jeter was so polarizing because he was good looking and dated, you know, the <laughs> one of ones like, you know, from Mariah Carey to, you know, uh, who else? Like <laughs> Jessica Alba? Alba. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Miguel the Kelly. Yeah. The girl from uh, from uh, MTV. Yeah. Um, Vanessa Manilo yeah so like you know people hated Jira because of that and then later on hated A-Rod for obvious reasons but those 90s Yankees teams like they just played the game right and they just whooped everyone's ass and they hated them because they were the Yankees but there weren't many hateable aspects to those teams but I'm
1: glad you said played the game right because that means they were taking steroids
2: there you go yeah if you're not yeah if you're not trying to cheat i don't know what to do for you because like the guy the guys from the other side of the other dugout are trying to cheat in as many ways they can yeah
3: nelson cruz is trying to cheat and that's why (laughs) i won him on my team allegedly i mean he's got the same trajectory as david ortiz yeah like he's like oh man i can't hit what's what's hitting and then goes somewhere like oh shit i I know how to hit that. All <laughs> this works. <laughs> of course.
0: Well, Herb, you said you want the team to have this kind of mentality, right? Yeah, I, like this bad boy it. mentality, this edge. I mean, do you, so you think it's important to adapt that kind of mentality or is it just like as unfounded as
3: TWTW? I just think it's important to have the right mental state, no matter what, to think that you are the best to know that you're the best. I think that's part of why Timmy's gone from, all right, player to the Tim he's been like to he, the 10th
1: best shortstop in the league,
3: <sighs> and he and he <laughs> used that as <laughs> a slight
2: yeah.
3: And this is like his friend, I think this is what happened his friend died of gun violence, and he realized, like, life is short. Me trying to fit myself in this baseball <laughs> old life of baseball police and putting my bat down when I hit a home run that's not me. I'm expressive, I'm opinionated, I'm this and that. And I'm not going to follow their rules. I'm going to be me because my friend is now dead. And, you know, he can't be himself anymore. And the last thing I'm going to go to my grave is being somebody else's person. So I'm going to be me. And since then, Timmy's been him and his career has gone off. I think that mentality has has made Timmy the next level. And yeah. the same thing with Lucas Giolito 2018, he was doing other people's things. Coop was uh, getting into him. And so (laughs) he's like, F Coop. I'm going to go back to my old coach when I was Lucas Giolito. He knows me. And that old coach is Ethan Katz. And he's going to get me right. In 2019, you saw he started elevating. He's the next guy. He's Lucas Giolito, top line pitcher, Cy Young Award candidate, no hitter guy, Lucas Giolito, because he believes in himself. And now he's not trying to fit himself into what Coop wants him and the White Sox want him. He's trying to be the best Lucas Shilito and if you, like I think Yogi Berra said that 90% of the game is half mental I know it was a, it's a joke but everybody's good at the majors. Everybody's had success in their life I think this thing that separates guys from being good to great or just being alright to good is mentality. Like the thing that happened with all these players that come over to the White Sox, as soon as they come to the White Sox, they forget how to play baseball. I don't know what happens. Like, the Mark Tien, he was good at Kansas City. He comes over here. Mm-hmm. He's like, ugh. keppinger Same thing. These Adam these, Dunn. Adam Dunn. Like Adam Dunn. Laroche. Adam these mentality things, they come and they I don't know what happens to them, but I want my players to be like, I'm the shit. I don't care who knows it. I can do this. What Liam Hendricks said in his introduction, he said that I would rather throw a pitch that is shitty with a lot of, uh, lot of confidence than a great pitch that I have no confidence in. And those things matter. Those things are real when you're play- facing somebody across from you. You think you're going to beat that guy? Then you're right. If you come out and like, oh, maybe I will. And you could see this in the pitching of Ronaldo Lopez. You could see this mm-hmm. in the pitching of Dylan Cease. Not sure themselves. They have plus stuff. I would say both of them might have better stuff than what Lucas Giolito has. But you know what Lucas Giolito has? He has faith that he can beat that next guy. Fuck that next guy. But so, so you're so you're not big, there yet. You're a big TWTW guy, aren't you, Herb? Yeah. I think that your mentality can carry you to places that you don't think you can go. Let's go. Initially. Cr- Chris, what do, you, what do you think? TWTW
0: going to get Carlos Rodon to the finish line this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing about all that. And, you know, I'm not going to totally take the other side <laughs> of what Herb's saying here. But, you know, just just anecdotally here, you know, we all know that having edge in baseball is important. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's locking in when, when you're supposed to lock in and... And, you know, just taking everything slowly as, as as it's presented to you and not getting in over your skis and, and not thinking about too much down the road in baseball. That's important. Like, you, you can have all the talent in the world. Look at that 4 White Sox team that was as talented as any White Sox team ever – And then they had no real edge, you know, they had some injury issues. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't have the edge. They didn't have the X factor. Okay. So that's, it's important. Don't get me wrong. But I think Yasmani Grandal the other day said it best when he said it's, it's important that you, you focus on the moment and not get too far ahead of yourselves because in baseball, that could be dangerous. I mean, 162 games and you plan on playing deep into October, that's a lot of baseball games. And to be thinking too far down the road, I think you're only doing yourself a disservice. It's it's important to lock in if you're like in the bottom of the eighth in a tie game and you know that runner's on third base and, okay, I'm going to lock it in right here and do – whatever it takes to drive this guy in for my team. Like having an edge is important for those moments, but it's still important to slow things down. You heard Joe Madden talk about it for so many years, slow the heart rate down. Like, you know, if you're gripping the bat too tight in baseball, it's not going to do you any favor. Just look at Gordon Beckham's entire career, basically all the talent in the world, but just, you know, (laughs) too wrapped up in his own head, you know? So it's important not to hang around Paulie too much. Well, yeah. And Paul, you, yeah, you know, it's really, it's really a miracle. Like, you know, if you ever spend five minutes listening to Paul Canerco, it's a miracle he had the career that he did. As you know, can you consider how cerebral he was and how like you would examine everything, every at bat? It was just like, it seemed like baseball was torture for Paul Canerco. But it's in, in baseball, you really have to not get too far ahead of yourself and try to stay locked in in the moment. And I think that's what's more important. But the edge is not just about attitude, but it's about recognizing when my uh, opponent is on the verge of, of breaking, you know, like falling off one extra pitch in an at bat. So you can finally get that pitch to hit that you want, because you know, you're going to just outwill your opponent. I think that stuff's important, but in baseball, it's really important to kind of like do the opposite and and slow it down. Like I love the fact that they want to beat people, beat people's ass. Like they want to just bludgeon teams. That'll be good. But baseball is like, it's some days it's just not going to be your day to do that. So you have to, not think about that stuff too much, not think about, oh, man, we should be whooping this team's ass. We should be up by at least three or four runs, but we're down by one. Like you can't get to that that mental aspect of the game because I think that gets dangerous to a point. Okay.
1: Well, what if it's the Royals and you want to whoop them every time you play them? Well, yeah. yeah I mean, you to, sh- yeah. should. Herb, 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 that's Herb a by, must.
2: Herb's by my machine here. So, like, yeah, normally I would be firing this one. But, yeah, TA. Well, I just want to whoop them every time I play them. There we go. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in poor position tonight. We're out of position. Usually I'm on that side by my machine. So, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, Royals. Yeah, bludgeon the Royals every single time, please.
3: Yeah, I yeah. think some of that at the beginning of the year last year uh, showed itself, like, you saw the white Sox are probably thought they were better than the twins at the beginning of the year. And then the twins are like, nah, we're still the twins. And they won two out of three of that first game, or that first series. And then I think when the white Sox went to Minnesota, same thing. And then something changed. White Sox like, fuck the twins. And they won like most of the rest of those games and they tied up the season series. And then as they had said, they had like, ah, oh, exhale. Oh man, we were in the playoffs. Awesome. This is what we wanted. We're in the playoffs, so we don't need to do anything else. That mentality of us being in the playoffs, we're done type of thing is what caused the White Sox to lose in Oakland. I think the mentality of this year is like Rick has said it. Nothing but the World Series win is acceptable. Everything else is disappointing. Get that into your minds. And let's move forward. That's
0: right. World Series or bust. Frank Manichino, you know, and you got. Hey,
3: how you doing? And- <laughs> Frank Manichino, how
0: you doing?
3: Hey,
2: put that bat on the
3: ball,
2: eh? <laughs> hey, Luis Robert, you make me look like an asshole over here. <laughs> get a hit. Get a hit. Oh, man, what'd you kiss?
3: You see, I work with Adam Mingo over there. You see that man's hitting. No. God, my Italian is so man, it's racist. Pretty, it's pretty racist. <laughs> it's <so> racist. <laughs> anti Yeah, that, Come that, get the,
2: me. that guy in the iTunes comments was really right about you. He really had you pegged racist. I am. <laughs> I'm <Anyway>. sorry, guys. <laughs> anyway. Well, it makes you feel good, make you guys feel any better. We were talking
0: about our iTunes ratings and how uh, we don't have enough five stars, so we're, our ratings are starting to plummet. So well, we're <laughs> officially the lowest rated <laughs> podcast on. Uh, on White Sox Twitter, Steve uh, made it White sound Sox like White
1: White White we had White. one fucking star. We we're still a four star podcast. That's four out of five. All right, come on. <laughs> if White, if White
2: Sox Twitter is doing your rating, and you're like the worst. Like that probably means like you could be the best. So always take <laughs> that. <With> White Sox <laughs> Twitter doing the ratings where everything is horrible all the time. You know you're probably doing all right for yourself. So. <laughs> great point.
0: Great point. Thanks, Danny. <laughs> all right. Well, I gotta say, since you were talking about, you know us taking care of business against the Royals and and hopefully being better than the Twins. We're going to shoot from the hip here with our final question and we didn't prep you guys with this just hot take right off off the top of your head no you know looking into analytics and saying oh maybe this maybe that it all depends on this are the White Sox division winners yes or no both of you
3: I say no I say they're 90 and (laughs) 72 they're going to be in the I'm wild saying- <laughs> card. I say no.
2: That's amazing I- that you have them winning 90, which is the exact is spoiler alert here like we're we're going to have some problems in our prediction show down yep. the road, but I have them right at 90 as well, mm-hmm. and I don't think I don't see how you could have them at 90 and have them not winning the division. I think the Twins are going to like 92. Oof, I don't see, I don't see the Twins as a 92 win team. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, I, I think they will win the Central with 90. It'll be close. Like Twins, maybe win 88 games or maybe a, another uh, play in game. Which how appropriate would that be? But yeah, yeah, they're, they're 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 the best team in the Central. Twins maybe a little bit more depth, but the White Sox are you know the talent is top heavy, especially if the Sox get off to a good start. Yeah, look out. That they they know they're the team to beat, and hopefully they act accordingly early on there. But yeah, I think the Sox win the division. Yeah, I'm getting chills down my spine. Having level-headed Chris Tannehill tell
0: me
3: that the White Sox are yeah, going to win that, the ALC. Yeah, Central you definitely now. listen to him. Last year, exactly number of wins. He picked 35 wins, 100%. I picked 28. So, you know, this is a Wait, the did negative- he pick
1: 35 when they were projecting a 162-game season?
3: Or
2: Oh, <laughs> no. no.
3: <Listen> to <laughs> a dick. He's like, uh, they're going to lose <laughs> minutes, the most games in the history of baseball.
2: <laughs> yeah, perpetual rebuild. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, you know... I- yeah, I, I don't see how you see the twins being you know, they're gonna be good. And they're gonna the, the Indians too, like, you know, they're gonna Fucking pitch Indians. they're gonna pitch and play defense and time a little bit, but yeah, that's, you know they're
3: gonna hit anything. Like it's it's how they do <laughs> except yeah. for Jose Ramirez.
2: Yeah, it's how the Sox do against those teams that'll that'll dictate that. I think I think the Sox, if they handle their business against those teams, they'll they'll be more than fine. Got Jose, um who's out there? Eddie Rosario's out there now too. Well that's funny. Yeah, they you Jesus. know, he's off the he's off the twins, but then he goes to the Indians. Like, oh great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. like
3: Lou Ford or Ryan Rayburn just touring the Central and tormenting the White Sox. Louis Rivas, yeah. (laughs) Yikes. Those are some names right there. And Victor Martinez just every time he sees Chris Sale is like, delicious. Let's eat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, gentlemen, thank you. Seriously, this has been a huge pleasure for I know both Tom and I and I hope that you know you guys have enjoyed this as well um I'm really Great grateful that you guys butt. took the time to do this
3: no
1: problem. yeah it's always a good podcast when your cheeks hurt at the end you know what I mean so it's good
0: it's true <laughs> and Tommy is not talking about his butt so <laughs> <laughs> fuck you all right I will
1: end on that note right there thank you <laughs> <laughs> Oh my good lord.